Hello and welcome to the ORX News Podcast, a podcast from ORX where we talk about the top five largest losses of the month, as well as stories specially created by the news team to illustrate relevant operational risk loss events from across the globe. In this month's episode, we'll take a brief look at June's top five largest losses, as well as conclude our two-part series covering issues stemming from the launch of ORX's Risk Management Working Group. In this episode, we'll discuss challenges surrounding data quality, systems, and the use of data for risk oversight, as well as touch on the importance of sufficient levels of adequately trained staff. I'm Fernanda Husumano Ashcroft, News Assistant Manager for Editorial, and today I'm joined by news researchers Izzy and Joseph. Over to you, Joseph, for June's Top 5. Thanks, Fern. In fifth place is QBE, with a 90.4 million Australian dollar fine. ASIC announced that 11 general insurers would repay customers a total of 815.6 million Australian dollars for failing to honour pricing promises. Of those 11 insurers, three have made it to the month's top five. In fourth place is cryptocurrency exchange Atomic Wallet, with a loss of $100 million to its users. RACQ Insurance takes the third spot with a 222 million Australian dollar fine. This fine is part of the same ASIC announcement that 11 general insurers would repay customers a total of 815.6 million Australian dollars for failing to honour pricing promises. In second place is JP Morgan with 290 million dollars. The bank has reached a settlement with victims of disgraced financier and convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. The group of victims announced that between 1998 and 2013, JP Morgan knowingly facilitated the commercial aspect of the operation by allowing the undetected storage and movement of large amounts of money. June's largest loss cost Insurance Australia Group, IAG, $487.2 million. This fine is also part of the same ASIC announcement that 11 general insurers would repay customers a total of $815.6 million Australian million for failing to honour pricing promises. Thanks, Joseph. As discussed in June's episode, ORX established the Risk Management Working Group last year to support members in this area. In the launch survey, firms described four principal challenges they faced when implementing their risk management framework. Today, we will cover the remaining topics highlighted in the launch survey, which were problems accessing high-quality data and resourcing challenges, considering budgets, staff numbers and skills. To discuss these issues, we will consider TSB, City National Bank, the Bank of Queensland, and Standard Chartered. Despite experiencing quite different events, these four firms all had risk management-related internal failures that contributed to them experiencing operational risk losses ranging from 31 million US dollars to 415 million pounds. We'll focus on the impacts and remediation of these failures. In last month's episode, we covered other challenges raised to the launch survey, issues with the three lines of defense model, siloed working and governance. So go check out that episode for more on these topics. So let's begin with the perennial issue of data access, specifically access to data which informs decision-making and strategy. In April 2018, TSB migrated roughly 1.3 billion customer records from a system hosted by Lloyd's to Sabadell's banking platform, Proteo4 UK. However, TSB's Chief Information Officer didn't supply enough quality information to the board regarding the firm's readiness for the platform migration. 
The board wasn't provided with an accurate view of the platform's remaining deficiencies at GoLivePoint. With only around 800 failings reported, despite the existence of at least 2,000 issues in the platform at the time. Presentations to the board also failed to cover key topics, such as non-functional testing of the platform or contingency plans. It's interesting to note that TSB chose a top-down approach to the initial migration planning, and this played a part in the overly ambitious project timetable, and insufficient discussion and challenge of issues as they came to light. Although reports said at the time that the Chief Information Officer made a new judged assessment of TSB's readiness because of pressure from Sabadell to meet the migration deadline. Alongside similar failures to provide the board with adequate data for oversight, these next two events also saw regulators highlight issues with the number and skill level of staff, as well as general risk culture. At City National Bank, the board and senior management did not have sufficient oversight to ensure it had effective fair lending risk management practices that were proportionate to the bank's size, complexity and geographic expansion. The US DOJ said that no one in City's compliance department, including the fair lending officer, reported its redlining risk to senior management or to the board of directors. This was exacerbated by the fact that City had insufficient staff to implement an adequate fair lending program in both skill and numerosity. For instance, oversight of fair lending was centralised under an officer who was not trained on redlining and did not discuss fair lending issues with any relevant persons in the bank's residential loan divisions. Bank branches in majority black and Hispanic neighbourhoods were understaffed, under-resourced, untrained and unmonitored, and employees in the lending division were not prompted to compensate for this. Attitudes towards risk can prove to be a stumbling block for many firms. For example, Australian regulators discovered several issues at the Bank of Queensland stemming from an immature risk culture and inadequate priorities regarding its risk culture uplift. Also, reporting to the board and board committees was overly positive and failed to highlight material issues, consequently impacting their ability to oversee and make informed risk decisions. The bank lacked risk capability, experience and capacity to embed sustainable changes that would ultimately solve its underlying weaknesses. Lastly, the bank's performance and consequence management didn't hold its leadership accountable where risks and issues hadn't been properly addressed. It's interesting how similar risk management issues within these firms can cause such a broad range of financial impacts and require differing subsequent remediation. For TSB, the platform migration went ahead in April 2018 according to the overly ambitious project timeline. The resultant disruptions to services, branches and over 5 million customers were wide-ranging and lasted until December 2018. As of December 2022, TSB had to pay out at least £415 million in redress, costs, waived interest and regulatory fines. The bank did agree to resolve the matter with the UK's FCA and PRA, so a 30% discount was applied to the overall penalties. TSB published an independent review of the incident, detailing the specific risk management issues contributing to the event, and embarked on a comprehensive remediation programme. As part of this, TSB restructured its IT governance, took direct management control of its IT operations, and established certain IT capabilities in-house. It also launched an IT transformation program focused on stability and cybersecurity. From a resilience in business continuity management perspective, 
TSB changed the way it deals with outages, increased its response effectiveness and improved how it engaged key suppliers. In a similar vein, the bank moved away from a diverse range of suppliers managed by a third party to instead take direct control in the UK with clear accountability by the chief operating officer. To mitigate the impact of service disruptions on customers, TSB redeployed 700 employees into customer-facing roles, created a team of over 260 staff dedicated to ensuring customers were compensated properly and as quickly as possible. The bank also recruited almost 2,000 people and made leadership and governance changes, all led by a new CEO, Debbie Crosby. Inadequate board reporting and staff failings had a different impact at City National. In annual fair lending risk reports from 2015 onwards and other internal assessments, City's fair lending risk was described as high or increasing. This was due to a significant lending disparity between white borrowers and black and Hispanic borrowers. The bank didn't measure its lending in minority communities against its peers until May 2020. It discovered that between 2017 and 2020, its peer lenders had processed six times as many mortgage applications from minority communities than City National. The DOJ accused the bank of failing to take meaningful action to rectify its identified underperformance in these communities or address its redlining risk. As a result, City reached the largest redlining settlement in the history of the DOJ's Combating Redlining Initiative at just over 31 million US dollars. In the aftermath of the judgment, the bank sought to prove its dedication to supporting historically underserved communities across the US by launching several new projects. Announced in January 2023, City created a residential mortgage special purpose credit program to cover various regions in the US. As part of this program, City would devote increased resources to residential mortgage lending, a previously neglected division due to its commercial business focus. The bank established its first community lending national sales manager, pioneer a team responsible for expanding mortgage lending to historically underserved borrowers through community outreach and financial education. It also launched a small business lending program aimed at assisting underserved business owners. In addition to its own initiatives, the DOJ ordered City to establish a Fair Lending Oversight Committee to monitor its fair lending risks, facilitate communication between management and the board of directors, including regular reporting. The DOJ further mandated that City provide all employees involved with mortgage lending marketing or CRA compliance with training on fair lending, which also included all members of the board. And to specifically support Black and Hispanic communities, City was instructed to partner with organizations which provide credit, financial education, home ownership and foreclosure prevention in Black and Hispanic neighborhoods and increase advertising in these areas. At the Bank of Queensland, there was insufficient oversight, challenge or accountability from the board, as well as broader risk culture weaknesses. This encumbered risk decision-making and led to risk management practices that were non-compliant with regulatory standards. As a result, APRA ordered the bank to hold an operational risk capital add-on of 50 million Australian dollars. The bank's response was to embark on an integrated risk programme in April 2023, for which it provisioned an extra 60 million Australian dollars to cover the anticipated cost. Both Ostrac and APRA acknowledged the bank's existing remedial efforts. 
Digitalization and simplification were the focus of the improvements, with emphasis on leveraging process automation. For example, amid its digital transformation, the bank decommissioned several complex legacy systems and reduced its reliance on manual processes. The bank also introduced a program to simplify its complex structure and reduce costs resulting from duplicated processes, whilst the digitalization program was ongoing. Another integral element to data, alongside quality and its supply to the relevant internal stakeholders, is the system in which the data is processed. Take the example of Standard Chartered, when it misreported its liquidity position to the PRA on several occasions between 2017 and 2019. The issues happened when errors in transaction processing systems were fed through and certain data was incorrectly excluded from its liquidity reporting system. Consequently, the bank either under or over-reported its US dollar gap to liquidity metric by between $2 and $10 billion and repeatedly fell below the metric survival period to fewer than 10 days at points. As a result of system errors and impacted metric reporting, the PRA didn't have a reliable overview of the bank's US dollar liquidity position between 2017 and 2018. Standard Chartered also had compounding issues with the supply of data to the relevant people. Some of these errors were not logged as operational risk events and consequently were not timely escalated to the bank's Finance Operational Risk Committee or to senior management. The PRA noted that the bank had not properly embedded its escalation framework for liquidity miscalculations and misreporting within the relevant business area, and also didn't have appropriate personnel resources to investigate potential misreporting of the same metric. To remediate these issues, Standard Chartered implemented better controls and validations reconciliation between metrics and use of central data sources. It also introduced regular reviews of these changes across all metrics. Nonetheless, as a result of its inaccurate US dollar gap to metric reporting, the PRA fined the bank £45.5 million in December 2021. At the time, this was the PRA's highest ever fine in a PRA-only enforcement case. In determining this penalty, PRA considered that the bank had self-identified the issue and investigated and resolved all errors found by the PRA. Furthermore, as the bank agreed to resolve the matter, it qualified for a 30% reduction from the original fine of £67 million. Thanks, Izzy, and thanks as well to Assistant Research Manager Natasha Smith-Brake for her work on this series and the script. For further details about the Risk Management Working Group's projects, go to orx.org. New subscribers can access all stories mentioned, as well as a deep dive on TSB on the news website. The links to the relevant sources used in this podcast, as well as the link to the first episode of the series, will be added to the show notes. And thank you for listening. I hope you can join us next time.